You're listening to Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg Radio. Do you know who you welcomed into your home? M. Night Shyamalan is known for making films with supernatural overtones. His series for Apple TV Plus, Servant, has those paranormal elements. A psychological thriller about a mother who hires a nanny to care for her child, Jericho. But Jericho is actually a doll, taking the place of her infant son who died. She's gone. You can put the doll down now. I'm fine as I am, Mr. Turner. We lost Jericho when he was 13 weeks. Dorothy took it hard. This is the only thing that brought her back. I should take Jericho for a walk now. You hired a nanny for a doll? But another filmmaker claims that Servant is shockingly similar to her film, The Truth About Emmanuel, a movie about a mother who hires a babysitter to care for her child, Chloe, who is actually a doll replacing her dead infant. What happens if the baby wakes up? You rock her back and forth, and you talk to her because she likes that. She likes to be talked to. I am just dying to meet that baby. And director Francesca Gregorini sued Shyamalan and Apple for copyright infringement. But a federal judge threw out her lawsuit before it could go to a jury. Joining me is intellectual property litigator Terrence Ross, a partner at Katten Rosenman. So, Terry, Gregorini claims that not only is the plot similar, but that there are strikingly similar and highly idiosyncratic artistic choices. Tell us more about the complaint. Well, at the core of her complaint was the argument that the central themes of her work and M. Knight's work were too similar to be a coincidence and therefore had to constitute a copyright violation. In particular, she asserted that there was this irrational reciprocal devotion between mother and nanny that arose out of the mother's loss of her child that occurred in both her work and in M. Knight's work, and that that similarity was sufficient to constitute copyright infringement. Now, she went on to say that there were also certain similarities with respect to dialogue, mood, setting, pace, character, sequence of events, but the core argument really was the similarity in the themes between the two works of this relationship between a mother and and a nanny that arose out of a loss of a child. So they're both about a grieving mother who cares for a doll as if it were a real child and the relationship with the babysitter or nanny. Why wasn't that enough for the judge? Well, the judge's view was that although they start from a similar premise, they really tell completely different stories. The court noted that in Emmanuel, it's really about a normal teenager who's struggling to cope with the guilt of knowing that her mother died at childbirth, while the servant sort of focuses on a paranormal theme, suggesting there's something fundamentally different and odd bordering on paranormal with respect to the nanny. So he found they're not substantially similar as a matter of law. How do you come to that decision as a matter of law? So the way the copyright law has evolved with respect to these charges of similarities in creative works, such as movies or television shows, 
the court says that the analysis has to be broken down into two parts. In the first part, the court has to determine whether or not the accused copied version was sufficiently copyrightable that a lawsuit should be allowed to go to a jury in the first place. In the second part of the test, the jury then determines whether there is, in fact, actual sufficient similarity. The judge sort of serves as a gatekeeper in determining what gets to a jury in this type of copyright case. And here, the judge made a determination that there was such a significant disparity in the two works with respect to those elements that could be copyrighted that the case should not go to a jury and therefore dismissed it with prejudice. I'm sure we'll see an appeal of that decision on the procedural ground as to whether or not the judge would be allowed into the law to make that determination on his own as opposed to sending it to a jury. But that's the process that the judge actually used here. Why not send it to a jury? I mean, we've seen a lot of times where a judge could dismiss a case before trial, but decides to let it go to the jury, and then afterwards, he can throw out the verdict. Why not let a jury decide here? In this case, the judge clearly was unimpressed by the claims of copyright infringement. He expressly held that the mood, which was one of the elements accused of copyright infringement, is not protectable under copyright law in the first place. He also held that the home nursery setting is scenes d'affaire, which is not copyrightable, and essentially saying that this is just too common a setting for it to be something that could be copyrighted in this particular work. There are also elements, individual elements, that he just didn't regard as significant, such as stolen wine that had to be paired with bread and cheese, the home birthday dinner celebration, the mothered stretches in a mirror. These were things that he described as unprotectable stock scenes. And therefore, it was within his purview, he said, to dismiss the lawsuit without sending it to a jury. Terry, were you surprised by the judge's decision to toss the case out? I am a bit surprised. I certainly thought that this lawsuit was alleging some elements that were unprotectable and that would be dismissed out. But I also thought that there might be some elements that were sufficiently pled as protectable that they might stay in and the lawsuit would go further. I think there is definitely a reaction in that court, the Central District of California, to the public and media criticisms of earlier decisions in copyright cases in which the court has allowed cases to go to the jury, resulting in verdicts in favor of the plaintiff and then handicapping the judge's ability to do anything about the case after the fact, even though the judge may have doubted whether or not there was copyright infringement. So I do think we're seeing the pendulum swing back in favor of copyright defendants in the eyes of the judges in that particular court, which, by the way, the court is fundamentally Los Angeles and which sees a large, large number of these copyright suits involving the entertainment industry. She says that she's going to appeal this. Is she likely to get a reversal from the Ninth Circuit? I think that's going to be very challenging for the plaintiff here. 
it is not impossible, but the way that the judge at the district court has structured the decision, it makes it very challenging for Ms. Gregorini to argue that procedurally the judge overstepped his role in a copyright lawsuit. The judge was very careful to make findings of fact that the elements that are shared by the two works are not protectable in the first place, and therefore copyright infringement case will not lie. It'll be interesting, though, to see what the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals will do on this case. Terry, why did the pendulum swing in favor of defendants? You know, I really think it starts with the blurred lines case. There you had a copyright infringement charge with respect to some older Marvin Gaye recording being copied by contemporary recording artists, allegedly. And in listening to the two recordings at issue in the Blurred Lines case, most people came away not understanding how they were similar in any respect. And yet the jury found copyright infringement and awarded significant amount of damages against the defendants, Mr. Thick and Farrell. And the reaction to that lawsuit was extraordinary in both the legal community and in the media and entertainment businesses. And I do believe that judges read the newspapers or online versions of newspapers and watch evening newscasts and can't help but be impacted by the blowback from their decisions in future cases. And so I do think that we see the pendulum swinging back in favor of copyright defendants. How long that will last, I don't know. But there is a definite change in mood with respect to these types of copyright cases. In a press release, Gregorini called the ruling disappointing but not surprising, given the balance of power in the entertainment industry toward powerful men and institutions. Sitting a nerve there. Yes, she's clearly recognized that the media does play a role in sort of setting a tone or context within which these copyright decisions uh, come before courts and is attempting to play upon the justifiable backlash against the imbalance of power in Hollywood and in other institutions. Whether or not that helps her case at the Ninth Circuit, I doubt it. But this case was as much about uh, striking a blow for women in the entertainment industry as for recovering damages for copyright infringement. And so I guess it's an important point that she's attempting to make in that respect. Thanks, Terry. That's Terrence Ross, a partner at Catton Rosenman. And that's it for this edition of Bloomberg Law. I'm June Grosso. Thanks so much for listening. And remember to tune into the Bloomberg Law Show weeknights at 10 p.m. Eastern right here on Bloomberg Radio.